Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Well, here we are again with another episode of Ladies Who Punt. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Fiona Blair and I'm joined by my co-host Grace Ramage. Hello, Grace. Hi, Fee, and hi everybody at home or listening to this in their car. I hope that you have been able to survive the first couple of days of winter because it is absolutely freezing, Um, but it's a great opportunity to just sit on the couch by the fire maybe and take a look back at what happened at Eagle Farm last Saturday because that's exactly what we're going to be doing on today's episode. Obviously last week for our preview was all about the triple group one meeting at Eagle Farm um, and we thought we had all the winners but it turns out we didn't and I must just say that a punting nation was in mourning because it was really hard to find a winner everywhere. Um, like I mean Zaki was beaten. Wow. It was just unbelievable scene. So we'll be looking back this episode, really how to review a race, including replay analysis and, you know, how looking back and analyzing what happened actually helps us to understand results better. Yeah, we'll be looking at the races that we tipped last week. So that's race four, five, eight and nine. And once we've done that, we'll also be doing a quick preview of the Queensland Oaks this Saturday, Group 1 at Eagle Farm again for the three-year-old fillies. So we'll be looking at the races 4, 5, 8 and 9 from last week. And if you want to follow along with us, we have linked the replays to these races in our show notes. So feel free to pull those up while you're listening. And we're going to be looking at them and following Grace's process in how to analyse a race. And we should point out that this is just one way of doing it. And we encourage our listeners to always have a go and come up with their own method of doing form analysis. So Grace, you've mentioned a few times that reviewing and looking back at race meetings from the previous weeks is an important part of your form. Why is that? Well, I suppose it's something where, you know, racing is a sport where we're always looking forward. There's always another race meeting the next day or the next Saturday. There's always something to look ahead to and and try and solve the puzzle, uh, so to speak. But when you actually stop and take a look back at what happened is when you really start to learn things and start to pick up why things have happened rather than just, you know, seeing the result and thinking, hmm, that's a little bit surprising. Oh, well, we'll carry on to the next one and see how we go again. It's almost like the second half of form analysis, if you've got the time and the energy and the passion to do it, uh, is to actually look back and and see what happened. And obviously, you can be really thorough and in-depth with that, or you can just quickly skim over and and see what happened. But for me, it is really important. And it's something that I always really try and do. So Grace, where would you start? What's the first step for you? Well, there are two things that go hand in hand for me. And the first one is the sectional analysis of the race to actually work out how the race was run. And as a result, who was advantaged and who was disadvantaged. 
was the leader advantage because it was a really slowly run race and actually the hidden run was the one that settled last and flashed home may have finished midfield but was actually a real flashing light run to suggest that they can win next start so sectional analysis is the first step I suppose but hand in hand with actually watching the replays back because you can really learn a lot about how a race was run by watching it again watching it live watching it again you know when I'm when I'm reviewing a race or even doing form for the next upcoming race but looking at what happened in the past, I'll re-watch a replay a few times to really see, okay, what happened with that horse? Where did that horse end up? Or oh, that horse was unlucky. You, you, you're literally looking for the different clues about how to find a winner going forward or at least work out what happened in the race with the certain horse that you're looking at. So that's what we're going to literally do with the four races that we previewed last week. We're going to apply both of those two steps to each race to see what happened and also what happened to our tips and why they performed the way they did. Yeah, that's going to be a good lesson for us because it was a very tough week on yeah. the punt. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with race four, the size produce. Firstly, let's remind everyone of who we tipped in this race. I think you had Resonator and Liberty Steps, Grace. Yep, I did. And I was with Twin Stars and Swiss Exile. Yep, so neither of us had the winner among those four horses, but you did have Swiss Exile, who finished second. The horse led throughout and finished second. So at least we got, um, hopefully, an each way price. I think you started about $8. So let's take a look at how the race unfolded. The first thing I noticed on race day and watching the replay back was that Swiss Exile just went straight to the front and really sort of went at quite what looked like quite a fast tempo. Mm -hmm. Is that what the sectional data is telling us? Yep, it exactly was that. So when you say that it looked like they went at a fast tempo, okay, this is the first point that we're going to refer to. When you're watching a race, um, As we've touched on before, there is no sort of sectional guide necessarily when you're watching it live. So you sort of actually have to rely on what your eye is telling you. And you can sort of tell what might be slowly run versus what might be fast run by the way that the horses are traveling through the race. When I say traveling, I mean how they're using their action and their energy, um, you know, whether they are being asked for an effort or whether they're the jockey sitting quiet as a mouse. So what I want to point out when we're taking a look at Swiss Exile in the lead of the size, race four, is that at the 400 metre mark, if you go back and watch the replay, which we're encouraging everybody to do to follow us as we go on this episode, if you go back and look at the 400 metres of this race and you'll know it's the 400 because they're into the home bend and you'll see a red post on the running rail flash up. That is the 400 metre mark. At that point of the race, you'll see that by that stage, majority of the horses are really chasing hard. They have come off the bridle and what that means is that the jockey is really asking them for their maximum effort now. And what that tells you is that it is a fast run race because in other races, which we'll get to later, uh, into the home bend, some jockeys will still be sitting there because it's been a really slowly run race. But here at the 400 metre mark, into the home straight, all the horses are already really at their top. They've got not much more left in the engine room and you can see that it's going to be more of a grind home than a sprint home. So that's a really good way to point it out, visually watching what the jockeys are doing in the race and how quickly they come off the bridle. And what are we actually looking out for, Grace, when you say off the bridle? What sort of um, body language or 
you know, movement from the jockey says that this horse is off the bridle and it's using the last bit of gas it's got. Yeah, so definitely watching for the jockey to become you know, sort of vigorous in his motion, suggesting to the horse, because this is what the horses are trained to respond to the jockey asking. And as we heard from Laura, literally using their voice to encourage, now this is the time for maximum effort. So you obviously can't hear them in a race replay, but you'll be able to see them with their hands gathering their reins. They'll be using their whip in the concluding stages. That all signals to the horse that it's time to go. But I suppose what's more important is that a jockey will be able to feel how much left the horse has got underneath him. So when you see the jockey start going for a horse early and asking for that effort, it's probably because the horse needs it. The horse is almost out of his biscuits. So that's the first step, visually watching the replay back to get a guide on what happened in the race. And we've determined that visually it looked as though Swiss Exile uh, was running along at a really fast tempo because they all were chasing from the 400 metres. The second thing, which I've already mentioned, which will apply to this race is taking a brief look at the sectional data and what it can tell us. Now, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I will discuss just a little snippet that can be really helpful. And what you'll need to do is go to Racing Australia, which is one of many places that you can get form cards. Um, And I find it to be really effective and just a great place to look and easily understand information. Go to Racing Australia, go to Results, Queensland, Eagle Farm last Saturday, and it will literally bring up all the races and all the horses and their finishing positions. But what it will also tell you underneath each race is the overall time and also the time of the last 600 metre section of the race. So What's important to do when you're looking back at a meeting as a whole, like we're doing, it's important to be able to compare races that are run over the same distance. So for us, looking at race four, the sires, we need to check for another 1400 meter race on the day of which there was one. And it was the Fred Best Classic, which was race six on the program. So both races run over the exact same distance and only one race separated them. It's a really good chance to go like for like to see what happened. So if you do pull those up, we can see that the sire's overall time was one minute, 22 seconds, 0.87. And the Fred Best overall time was 1 minute 22 seconds 0.43. So the Fred Best was faster, but only by about 0.4 of a second, which as we learned last week, a second is roughly six to seven lengths. So it's about three lengths, let's say. That was the overall time. When we take a look at the last 600, the Sires was 35.67 seconds. The Fred Best was 35.22 seconds. Again, the Fred Best last 600 metre section was faster than that of the Sires. Overall, what that's telling us is that the Fred Best has run a better overall time and a faster last 600 metres. That's a better class of race. I suppose then what you need to say is, well, what does this mean? If you go back and look at the replay of the Fred Best race six, you will also see that all the jockeys are chasing at the 400 metres. So what does that mean? It was also a fast run race. They've both gone out really fast. Um, The Fred Best has come home slightly faster than the sires. So the sires were tiring a touch more, but you can You can understand that because they're two-year-olds versus three-year-olds. So I suppose that's what we learn in terms of the race shape. 
what we can actually understand happened in the race. But now, Fee, we need to apply that and work out what went wrong with the horses that we thought were genuine winning chances. Yeah, well, I would like to start with Swiss Exile. So that's obviously his usual racing pattern, but I just feel like here it didn't obviously work out for him. But I guess you could argue if he didn't race like that, maybe the result would have been worse. What did you think of his run, Grace? Well, considering what we've just said about now, knowing that it was a fast run race, for mine, Swiss Exile was one of the runs of the race. Because if you take a look and see where all the other horses that settled on speed alongside Swiss Exile finished, they all faded. They all were really tired late. Swiss Exile led and was the only one um, that was still in for the fight at the finish. And considering first, third, fourth and fifth finishing positions in the sires came from well back in the field, for Swiss Exile to still be there in the finish was a huge run. He has gone out really hard, but he sustained that strong gallop. So when I'm looking back at this race, he's definitely one of the the runs of the race. You know, he's only been narrowly beaten, um, but I suppose the others had a softer time of it. Um, settling further back in the field. There's a lot of horses that were fading. They were finishing off strongly, but Swiss Exile was in there for the fight. So he was a really good run feed, a really good tip by you. So the favourite of the race was Resonator. He started at $6.50, which just says so much about how no one was very sure what was going to happen in this race. And he was one of your tips, Grace. What did you make of his run? So as we've just spoken about Swiss Exile being really strong in the finish, Resonator absolutely was not. And what I'm taking out of this run um, is that a couple of different things. He was stepping up in class. He'd been running really good times and strong wins in the provincial country tracks of New South Wales, but clearly a step up in class here, just didn't handle the occasion. And something that you rightly pointed out last week that we discussed Heavy 10, heavy 10 to a good four, doesn't all, it doesn't always translate. Some horses are just superior wet trackers and then when they get onto a good track, the other horses come into play more and their advantage is taken away. I think that's a little bit of what's happened here with Resonator as well because he was really close to that hot speed set by Swiss Exile. So at the 400 metre mark, he was basically second in the run. He sat second throughout the whole race, just off Swiss Exile. Um, And then into the home straight, when the jockey started to ask him for his maximum effort, he just had nothing left. So really no excuses, unless there was something that came up in the vet report, which I didn't see. No excuses for Resonator. A $6.50 favourite. Yeah, he he was disappointing on face value. And the last pick we had was Liberty Steps. Talk us through his run, Grace. So Liberty Steps drew barrier 21. He came into 17 when the scratchings were withdrawn. And he had a really tough run. He settled sort of midfield but was posted deep throughout, so covered a lot of extra ground. Now, if you watch this horse's replay, he was unlucky. At one stage in the straight or just approaching the home bend, um, he sort of had to really lose his momentum. The jockey had to sort of take a hold of him to go backwards to get to the outside of horses, which there was no gap. He had to go around them and then 
let down again and be asked for an effort after that. And in a fast run race, that's not an easy thing to do. Horses have already been giving their all. And then to be asked by the jockey to sort of, no, there's no way to get through there. We need to take a left-hand turn and then go again. He was really unlucky. If you look at it back, you'll see that he makes up a little bit of ground on the horse to his inside that had all the momentum. His last 200 metres was actually really strong. So I think Liberty Steps is a horse that, did have excuses. He didn't have the clearest run. He was strong at the end of a fast run 1400 meters, which fills me with a lot of encouragement because this horse is actually racing again this Saturday out to 1500 meters at the same track. So he might be a little, a little interesting one where you might get a better price about him because his finishing position overall was 11th of 18, but he was unlucky. So he might be one to watch. Okay, so that was race four. Let's move on to race five, the big upset of the day where Zaki was taken down. Mm-hmm. He really faded to the line. And Grace, you said it was going to be a popcorn race, which we should all just sit back and enjoy. And <laughs> yeah. wow, it really was a spectacle. What the heck happened? I don't know. It's um, a real head scratcher. Zaki was a dollar twenty-four. Everyone just thought he would win. I thought it would be a popcorn race to enjoy him being victorious again. But, you know, it's just one of those things that it is a horse race and sometimes horses put in a flat run. And that is exactly what Zaki has done. Annabelle Nisham, the trainer of Zaki, said after the race that maybe the 2100 metres of the Doomben Cup was just a stretch too far for him and that clearly he's just gone over the top, which in trainer talk means he's just had enough. He's he's clearly putting all the signals out there that he just doesn't want to be racing anymore. This preparation, he needs a holiday in the paddock and then he'll come back bigger and stronger next time around. Suffering burnout, as we might say in human yes, terms. Yes, exactly. Burnout and in need of a holiday. So that's what Annabelle said about the horse. When I take a look firstly at what happened in terms of the overall time of the race, I'm going to compare this 2100 meter Group 1 Doomben Cup to the other race over 2100 meters on the day, which was race one, the Roses for three-year-old fillies. Now, the Roses was 1.5 seconds slower overall, but you'd expect this given it's a three-year-old fillies race versus Zaki in a Group 1. Uh, Another factor to point out here is that race one, the track would have been slightly softer. It was obviously rain affected. By the time we got to race five, the sun was out 28 degrees. It would have been drier and therefore faster. What you'll also see if you go to Racing Australia and take a look at the times is that the winner of this race, the Doomben Cup, Huertor, is how you pronounce that horse's name, FYI, um, he actually broke the track record. Wow. So... It's important for me to note that Eagle Farm has this new track has only been up and around for a year or so. So the track records there, they're not, you know, years and years ago by superstars, but still they've run really fast time here. So the race has gone really well. Zaki was sitting outside the leader, Polly Gray. James McDonald, who normally rides this horse, when if you watch his other wins and his other replays, he just sits there. The horse is still on the bridle and then in the straight, he asks him for an effort and he just explodes. Like he's got a great turn of foot, a great finish on him. But when James McDonald asked him, he just had absolutely nothing left. Like he did not quicken at all and he was quickly gobbled up uh, by Huertor, the winner, and also Maximal, who finished second. So it's one of those ones where other than the fact that we've 
watched the replay and we have compared the race times on the day, it's not still not really telling us why Zaki got beaten. We're just putting it down to the fact that he's clearly put in a flat run, which horses can do. So we ignore that and we wait and be excited to see him back next campaign. The next race we are replaying is Race 8, the Queensland Derby, where I actually managed to tip a winner. Woohoo! Well done, And Pinarello. Uh, I feel like it was quite a brave run from the Kiwi yes, in his Australian debut. But there were a few other horses who ran really great races. It was actually quite a tight finish in the end. So what did you make of this race as a whole, Grace? Well, firstly, Fee, well done in finding the winner in Pinarello. You identified him as, um, you know, being a Kiwi who are generally superior stayers. And also I think we talked about the fact that He'd been scratched from a a race two weeks prior, which was on that heavy track, and they saved him for this run on a good track, which is a little bit of an indicator, especially in hindsight, that he was ready to win. They did not want to waste a run with him. So they were both really good um, pickups, and well done on finding the winner here. Let's start by taking a look at the overall times of the Queensland Derby compared to the other 2,400-metre race on the day, which was race two on the program one by a horse called splendiferous who is also a three-year-old but she's a filly she was against the older horses on this day so when we take a look at the overall time on racing australia the derby was overall 0.5 of a second slower than the premier's cup which was won by splendiferous uh, who's a filly a three-year-old filly against the older horses here who's been here there and everywhere but she's racing really well And the Derby was also 0.25 of a second slower the last 600 metres than Splendiferous winning the Premier's Cup. What does the slower last 600 time mean on on the race pattern, Grace? Well, the slower last 600 means that they've probably gone out harder early in the Derby and it means that they've got less zip left in their legs late. Or it can just mean that it is an inferior class of horse. Let's watch the replays and see. That's the next step. So if you do take a look at the replays um, in the derby, you will see that most of the fields start to chase from just after the 600-metre mark, which you can understand because it's a 2,400-metre race. Obviously, the horses are going to be coming under pressure a little earlier. So most horses are off the bit at around the 600. And you've also got really big margins back to the midfield horses in finishing position and also those at the tail of the field. Big margins generally mean it's been a fast run race because most horses are out of energy at the end. They'll come in like Brown's cows. And that's what we saw in the derby. But when we go and look at the splendiferous race, which is race two, the Premier's Cup, this is a really interesting one. Take a look at what happens at the 1400 meter mark when the horses are down the side and there are houses in the background. You'll see that Splendiferous, who's got the blue colors on and a red hat, she's sitting midfield. And you'll see that the horse ahead of her, the whole field sort of starts to slacken the tempo a little bit. And you can see physically that the horse in front of her just slows a bit, means that she's got less room to, to stride out. And she doesn't like that. She starts throwing her head around. She's got her mouth open. She's resenting that slowdown in the middle of the race. And what does the jockey do? The jockey decides to take off and make a mid-race move. Mid-race moves are quite rare. It's only if a horse is really fierce in the run, they think, oh, I've just got to let this horse go. Otherwise, he's going to pull really hard and have nothing in the finish anyway. And Splendiferous is such a tough staying filly that they let her roll to sit outside the leader. 
And it was the perfect move because it poured on the pressure. You can see the leader come under pressure. Um, when she does that, the rest of the field say, oh, the race is on now. We better get going. And she's the superior stayer and she won. It was a fast run race because of that mid-race move and a genius move by the jockey because ultimately she was the winner. So when we're looking at the overall times and the replays, we can ascertain that both races were fast run. The derby uh, was slower probably just because it was a slightly inferior rating race. We also saw Pinarello make sort of a similar move. He was sitting fairly far back and then sort of came up to be on speed quite early in the race. Mm -hmm. So similar tactics there, I guess. Yes, in the sense that when the race came on, he certainly was there with a lot to offer. Splendiferous made that move 600 metres earlier. So that was a really obvious mid-race move. But Pinarello, you're right, he presented quickly And as we mentioned earlier, he was one horse that still had, the jockey still knew he had so much left in the engine as opposed to other jockeys that are already, you know, asking their horses for that maximum effort. Pinarello, he was really strong into the bend and was really strong over the concluding stages. It did get tight in the finish. Paternal was right there as well. Um, It was actually quite a good staying race for the three-year-olds. Like it's a race you can follow. And um, But yeah, Pinarello was too strong at the end of the day. Let's talk about Dark Destroyer. I was very keen on him leading into the race. Um, I just thought he looked like the superior horse. And uh, he just let us down a little bit on well, Saturday. He let us down in terms of the fact that he finished fourth when if anyone had an each way bet, they were left penniless. <laughs> but he was well supported, $3.16 to $3.50 favourite. And I should also add that there was a whole lot of money for Pinarello in the lead up to the race. He started $6.50 after betting $9 earlier in the week. But Dark Destroyer, I'm not, I don't think he was disappointing by any stretch. He also got probably too far back, um, sort of had to weave his way through. You can see by watching the replay, he wasn't weakening to the line. Uh, the 2,400 metres of the race didn't see him out. He was actually sort of doing his best work late. It's just he he couldn't make up the ground on Pinarello and Paternal, those that were really fighting out the finish. It was definitely still a run with a lot of merit to it, but just not good enough on the day. Okay, so we're up to our last race review. Hopefully you've been following along so far and picking up on some analysis tips from Grace. The last race we're looking at is race nine, the Kingsford Smith, where Apache Chase won the race, giving local trainer Des Forster her first Group 1 win. Such a fantastic story and great scenes trackside on the day from Des. I was with Ellsberg, who finished towards the back of the field, and Grace, you backed a favourite of yours in Brooklyn Hustle, who uh, failed to redeem herself with punters crossing the line in sixth position. Let's break down how this race played out. This is a really good race for our learnings because it is very different. I suppose we're exploring the other side of the coin when we're analysing what happened in this race. So it's a good one to look at. Let's start by comparing the pair on the day. There was another 1300 metre race. It was race seven on the program. It was at group three level and it was called the BRC Sprint, won by Soxygon. So the overall time of the group one Kingsford Smith Cup was 0.4 seconds slower than race seven, the group three. The last 600 metres of the group one Kingsford Smith Cup 
was 0.3 seconds faster than Mm. the group three. Now, this is a perfect example to explain that when you see an overall time that's slower to the other race at the same distance on the day, but the last 600 meters is faster, it is a really good guide that that race has gone out really slowly, like a sit and sprint. They've just walked the first however many meters. And then that last 600 meters, every horse has done no work early and they've got so much left in their legs that they sprint home really hard. That's that setup when you see it go out overall slow but come home fast that is what you call a slowly run race and a sit and sprint race so that's what's happened here in the kingsford smith cup a couple of other indicators that suggest that this was the race shape a sit and sprint if you watch the replay you'll notice that the leader won apache chase and those who settled on speed were still there kicking strongly in the finish um, which I guess is different to what we discussed earlier when all those horses around Swiss, Swiss Exile were fading out the back. So completely different scenario here. Those on-speed horses were still really strong in the finish. And also, if you look at the replay, at the 400-meter mark, that red post on the running rail, most of the jockeys are not even moving yet. Their horses are still traveling so well underneath them that they can feel they've got so much left to offer that it's not even time to press the button. And the last indicator of a slowly run race and a sprint home is the margins. We spoke about in a fast run race, they're coming home like Brown's cows. In a slowly run race, they're all sort of sprinting together. You don't see a lot of change in finishing in running positions versus finishing positions. And in this race, from first to last, it was only just over four lengths. Like it was a really bunched finish. No margins suggests a slow run race. Must also point out that this is definitely just the general rule, and there are many exceptions as you go through it, but it's certainly the case here. So, then what we need to do is work out who was advantaged and who was disadvantaged by this slowly run race shape. The leader, Apache Chase, he was so advantaged, really deserved group one win for the horse, but you swap the run with on Trivier. The favorite who settled way out the back, you definitely get a different result. Like I can absolutely guarantee that the horses that settled on speed in this race were advantaged by the race shape. The horses that settled out the back were way too far back and really had no possible winning chance. Is that a general rule, Grace? Like sit and sprints will favor the leaders? Absolutely. And when we spoke about, um, you know, positions in running a little while ago, we said that leading and being on pace uh, can be beneficial. It's called a tactical advantage. And you'll find that those horses win more races because they're there. And if it's a slowly run race, they have got a tactical advantage. Back markers like on Trivier, well, that's now two runs where she's come from way back in Queensland. She's been an eye catcher, but she hasn't won either of them. So that was the downside for the favorite on Trivier, but she'd drawn a wide barrier as well. They couldn't do much about it. That's just racing. It's the way it unfolded for her. She was very unlucky. Watching the replay, there's really not one horse that's fading at the line. Yeah, exactly. They're all just sprinting together. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I really look for. Um, because to the eye, you could watch that race and say, oh, Trivier was disappointing. Like she didn't Mm. really do much at all. She just sort of plotted in the finish. But what you have to understand is that those horses are all at top gear together. Mm. And if you've got an extra six lengths to make up from the leader, who's also at top gear 
at the 300 and you're at top gear at the 300 but you're way back unless you're winks it's very hard it's very hard to make up that ground when you're looking at just regular racing so we have to be forgiving in this race of any of those horses that were too far back and we have to understand that the horses that were on speed first apache chase and also paul laley who was second and sat second in the run they were really flattered by the race shape If it was a different run race, we might have had a different result. But it's one of those things that we need to know and understand about racing because it happens a lot. Let's talk about the horse that I quite liked, Grace. And And me as well. I liked him too. Yeah, Alsberg. I was watching this race. I just was really disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. What happened to him? And unfortunately, there's not really anything that I can tell you to make you feel better. Oh, no. He was disappointing. Um, Again, we probably won't know why. He was disappointing. It might have been a flat run, might have been the travel, might have been anything. But clearly that wasn't the performance that we were hoping for and there wasn't a reason for it. There wasn't, um, you know, he was settled, he settled close enough to the speed to be strong in the finish, but he didn't. He went backwards. So when you're looking at the race shape, you're looking at the way that he traveled in the run, everything was good for him, except he just did not finish off at all. So unfortunately for us, Ellsberg was disappointing in the race. Yeah, he really was the only horse losing ground. Yeah, great. That's about right. That sums us up pretty much. And what about your girl, Brooklyn Hustle? She was, she's in the forgive file for mine. They all just sprinted together. She was midfield. She held her ground. She just couldn't make up the ground. The one horse, I suppose, Fee, that was a really good run in hindsight, knowing the race shape, was 11-11 who finished third because this horse has come from way back where um, you know some of those other horses that fit, that finished further back than midfield this horse was in the same spot but has somehow managed to sprout wings and make up that ground that was required so 11-11 has really run out of his skin in this group one contest he's given a good ride by Hugh Bowman from a low draw he's definitely one to watch wherever he goes to next which I can only assume will be the Stradbroke handicap in two weeks time he looks really well placed there this was a great lead-up run to that group one over 1400 meters well that's our four races that we were going to look back at hopefully uh we've all learned something from that exercise but now it's time to move on to our race preview we're only covering one race today as we are running out of time (laughs) and that is the uh, group one Queensland Oaks back at Eagle Farm it's race nine over 2200 meters with set weights and when we see Oaks in the name that is telling us that the race is for three-year-old fillies I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I want to start with the second favorite grace, number 12, Aravini. I'm a little bit curious as to why this horse is second favorite. Uh, Its best performance to date is winning a benchmark 72 last start. Now it's in a group one against group performed horses Mm -hmm. and it's second Mm favourite. Do you have anything that could enlighten me on this? So I will try my best, Fee, but what I will say is that sometimes we just need to listen to what's happening around us. And the reason that this filly is second favourite is that when markets opened for the Queensland Oaks, she was backed from $7.50 into $4.60 second favourite. So she's almost halved her price. That is a really big alarm bells going off that the stable and that people that know this horse wanted to snap up the $7.50 as soon as it was put out there. So there's some secret information maybe. Well, (laughs) not so much secret information, but... Insider um, information. Insider information, definitely. And you know what? Insider information is very much a thing in racing because, you know, trainers and stable staff and owners... You know, they all work with these horses on a daily basis. And, you know, the Caroline Jennings stable who trains Aravine, they might have always had her targeted at this race, fourth up. She's won her pass two. They might have known that she is a group one filly. We've only seen her win a benchmark 72, but that's not a ceiling on her talent. So the money for this horse is very telling that she is a very good filly and do not underestimate her. Having covered a lot of different race shapes in this episode, Grace, How do you think the Queensland Oaks is going to play out? Well, it's a group one race. So there's a lot of intent from a lot of the jockeys and the the connections, meaning that instead of it being a first up run for these fillies, just go back and finish off. This is the grand final race for these fillies. So I'd expect there to be a few extra horses that might roll the dice and go forward. But on paper, there's really only two horses that like to lead, and that is Barb Raider and also Gin Martini, who both come through the same last start last Saturday, where Barb Raider won that race. Another horse, Gypsy Goddess, drawn Barrier 22. This filly has had absolutely no luck. Barrier 22 is horrific, but I have a feeling that maybe William Pike, the jockey, will try and get her to go forward from that wide barrier. He's got to make a decision one way or the other. Would not be surprised to see them roll the dice and try and get her towards the front of the field out of the barriers. But having said that, I think I think it could be a slowly run race again. It's certainly not going to be fast run the way I'm seeing it sort of set up. Let's start with Gypsy Goddess. She's the favourite at the moment and you've said she's been pretty unlucky in that you, you think that they might try and ride her a bit more forward this race. Looking at her past form, again, just using Racing Australia, her last run, which she ran second in, she was sort of a back marker, but she's sort of seems quite versatile based on her form like she's sat midfield she's sat on pace sometimes and she always seems to finish pretty well she does she's a really good staying filly she deserves a feature race win because she's always thereabouts last start in the listed race at the Gold Coast over 1800 meters nearly a month ago now on a heavy eight track she was only narrowly beaten And it was a great run. This filly doesn't necessarily love wet tracks, but she's been racing well on them. I'd expect her to be better 
now on a good surface uh, before getting onto a wet track. She was actually unbeaten, four starts from four wins, four wins from four starts, all on good surfaces. She's obviously a good filly, but my concern, Fee, is that she's had those two runs on wet tracks, whereas there are some other horses here that have been managed to avoid the wet tracks and are sort of here as their target race peaking for the run. I think Gypsy Goddess, it's one of those sort of niggling concerns. Is she going to have that freshness in her legs uh, to be winning over 2,200 metres now, or might she just be a little bit sort of on the dower side um, and there are other horses that are sharper than her in the finish. So she's favourite, but she's not actually the one that I'm with. Mm, she is the one that I am with. Okay. And I can see your concerns on the double heavy runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just seen from last week and from our race analysis from last week that that seemed to be the undoing of a few of the yeah. horses. So yep. uh, that did make me nervous. But then <laughs> I looked at the dates that she's been running. So her last run was on the 7th of May, Mm -hmm. almost a month ago. Yep. And then her run before that was the 9th of April. Again, a good spacing. So I reckon the trainer, David Van Dyke, is like, yeah, you've run well on a heavy track, but you still need a bit of time to get over that race. I think he's being very clever here. And, you know, in her last five runs, she hasn't placed less than third. Mm -hmm. I'm just so impressed by her record. She just seems like a very versatile filly, versatile on tracks, versatile on running position. And yeah, she's really sort of captured me and I'm I'm on the Gypsy Goddess bandwagon. Yep, that is really, you've summed it up perfectly and I cannot knock anything you've said. I can even add to it by saying, take a look in her eight starts of which five were wins at the price at which she started. Um, that tells you that every time she goes around, the market thinks that she is going to be awfully hard to beat because she's a good filly. That's what we call a strong starting price profile. And it can be a really good guide to the ability of a horse and what we think, what the punting public think um, the horse is capable of doing. So there's a lot to like about Gypsy Goddess. My slight concern is those two wet tracks, but you're right, Fee, a month between runs on both times. Like mm. He's given her every chance to get over them and still be good to go here. The other stat I have to point out is she's two from two at Eagle Farm. Yes, so, great uh, stat. Yeah. Great stat. <laughs> so, Grace, if you're not with Gypsy Goddess, who are you with? I am with horse number one, Barb Raider. Uh, important to note when you're looking at the weight scale here, it is set weights because it's a three-year-old fillies race. So they are all on 56 and a half kilograms. But why Barb Raider has got saddlecloth number one, because she is the best credentialed filly in this race. She is a two-time group two winner. She's also won a group three. That was back in the spring as a spring three-year-old filly. She's always been there and abouts. And she has had a really big preparation this time around for the autumn. But her win last Saturday, so she's on a quick backup here, seven days. She won at Eagle Farm in the Roses. It was a good win. I loved how strong she was her last 200 metres of the race. If you watch the replay, she was challenged, but she really fought hard. 
Um, but what I like most about her feet is that she looks to be the leader of this race. And if they go slow, like they did last Saturday for her, she will be extremely hard to beat. It's just that tactical advantage we spoke of. Uh, if Gypsy Goddess goes forward from barrier 22, it's the match race will be on and it'll be a great race. But if they go back on Gypsy Goddess, it's going to be awfully hard for her to reduce the margin to beat Barb Raider on what I've seen in her recent starts. But that's just the way I'm seeing it, Barb Raider. Uh, for Craig Williams, she's, um, she's a really good filly and I think she'll run well here. Well, Grace, that's it for this episode. I think it's been a really good topic to cover I definitely feel more confident now looking back at races and seeing number one what kind of race shape it was Mm -hmm. and who which horses were having a good run and which horses just didn't suit that sort of race shape and for everybody listening just watch the races live and really have a look at the way that the horses are um, traveling in the race you know how early they all sort of come off the bridle and, uh, and are chasing or how bunched they are in the finish and start to put it into practice what we've been talking about because you'll start to pick it up really quickly and it'll make everything and like understanding um, form analysis and racing just that little bit easier Yep, and next week we will be doing another form episode. It's Stradbroke Day. We're still at Eagle Farm. Mm -hmm. And some of the races we've analysed this week, we're seeing a few of those runners back here again. So, you know, good homework for for next week. Horses like Apache Chase, who just won the Group 1 11-11, who Mm -hmm. we picked out as a horse that had a good run. Uh, Your girl, Brooklyn Hustle, looks like she might be going again. She'll probably be there. And other horses that are nominated that we like. She's a belter who had that great run in the sires. She'll go to the JJ Atkins for the two-year-olds at Group 1 level. Yeah, so it's going to be another good uh, day of racing. So we've already done some of our homework for next week's form, which is handy. Well, that's the thing. Hopefully next week it's so much more simple, you know, and that what we're saying makes a lot more sense. That's the whole point of the show. That's right. And next week will actually be our last episode. We're having another little freshen up because Grace, you are off on a very exciting trip to Royal Ascot. I know. I'm very excited. I'll be departing next Thursday to go to London for Royal Ascot, which is the best race meeting they call it a meeting not a carnival very specific about that but it's five days of racing at Ascot and it's royal because the queen and the royal family are all there best racing in the world very excited to be going so yeah we'll be having a little freshen up and fee in the cold I would suggest two rugs in the paddock because (laughs) yeah it's chilly maybe stable at night yes ideal out in the paddock during the day Mm -hmm. yep So next week will be, like we said, our last episode for a little while. So make sure you tune in and thank you so much for for supporting us and supporting the podcast. We hope you are enjoying the content. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 